0: There is a uh, spirit about this season that does seem different from the rest of the year. I don't know if our spiritual senses are heightened. People are just more open to things than they are the rest of the year, perhaps. I don't know what it is, but I do believe that this is a good time uh, for, for folks to awaken to where we are spiritually. To, it's a great time to turn back to God. It's a great time to reach out. As, uh, as He softens our heart through this season of celebration uh, to reconnect with our God. And so as we think about Christmas this morning, I am in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 3, where God comes to His people, He comes to, I think, the world with an invitation, with a promise and an invitation for mercy as He invites us to come home. Isaiah chapter 40, in the first five verses, verses 1 to 5. Hear then the word of God. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her, proclaim to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, beautiful, wintry morning. We awaken as a people who know that your mercies are new this morning. Because you have loved us in your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, even now as we consider your words of comfort, of invitation, of mercy, of pardon. Of your coming and of your grace. Father, would you soften our hearts. Would you bring us home. For we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During the peaceful reign of Uzziah, if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah at all, and most of you know Isaiah chapter 6, it's a go-to chapter for many a missions conference where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died. In the reign of King Uzziah, Uzziah reigned for a long time and his reign was relatively peaceful in the turbulent times in which they lived. And During this relative time of peace, Israel fell into a spiritual laziness into spiritual coldness, into rebellion, corruption, injustice. So then Isaiah speaks a great deal about the dire consequences that came upon Israel because of these things. Is Syria oppressed them? Actually, at this point in time is a time when the northern kingdom falls to Assyria, and so Assyria conquers the northern kingdom and oppresses the southern kingdom of Judah. Assyria oppresses and finally Babylon will rise to power and will invade and conquer Israel. And, And Isaiah is speaking of these things to God's people. Words of warning, Jerusalem is going to be sacked, the walls will be torn down, the temple will be razed to the ground and they will be taken in chains to a foreign land. They will go into a captivity. Israel will become a nation of exiles. They will serve foreign masters far from home. And Isaiah is the prophet who is called to preach into this context and to preach to these people about the consequences of sin. Isaiah is a book. It has 66 chapters, just like uh, the Bible has 66 books. And in the first 39 chapters, which the Old Testament happens to have 39 books in it, in the first 39 chapters, the message is largely, not entirely, but largely one of judgment of warning of the Babylonian captivity that stands in front of them. And when he reached chapter 40, in your Bible, the New Testament is 27 books starting in the 40th book. In chapter 40, there is a radical shift in the overall tone of the book. The prophet who had been warning of judgment and exile and captivity doesn't say, back off from those things, but his tone by and large shifts. And it starts right here is this this beautiful uh, passage that Isaiah speaks into the life of Israel. He speaks a tender word of promise, right? He speaks a word of comfort, of hope, of deliverance. And what is the message? The message summed up is God is coming. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. You know, build a highway because God is coming. He is on His way. And He's coming in mercy. He's coming in compassion. He will visit His people to forgive and to rescue them from their bondage. A remnant is going to return home. And Israel will be restored to their land and to their God. And God will have mercy on them. And the past offenses will be forgiven so this encouraging word comes to the nation of Israel in this context. But it's not only a word to Israel, it is a word to us. It's a word to our day, to this moment in time. You know, it's interesting that all four Gospels quote this passage. All four. The, the four Gospels, you know, sometimes you get Matthew, Mark, and Luke to to repeat things, you know, they're the synoptics, they're the ones that have a lot of... Even John picks this up, all four of the Gospels, quote, Isaiah chapter 40, at least in verses 3 and verses 4. And it says in the Gospels, then, that the ultimate, they declare the ultimate fulfillment of this text is in the coming of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. In the first chapter of Mark, for example, it's there in your bulletin under the second point hold Mark out. We'll do Mark, it says, in chapter 1 of Mark, as it is written in Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Right, Proclaiming a Baptism for the for repentance and the forgiveness of sins isn't that that's the topic of Isaiah forty, right? That God is God is coming in mercy and He's proclaiming that your warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned and she will receive from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. John comes with this same message, a voice crying in the wilderness, John preparing the way for Jesus. Right? And so verses 3 and 4 are, Isaiah 40, are about John. Or so all the New Testament writers tell us. And then verse 5 then is about Jesus. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. And all flesh together will see it. John the Baptist and Jesus, you know, they were in the womb together. You ever have their two moms, I know Lynn would say this sometimes to... You know, my children have other uh, friends or kids at their age, and there's sometimes you would say something like, you know, you guys were in the womb together. You know, you didn't just meet in the first grade or second grade, but the moms were pregnant together. Like, we knew each other, and you guys, in some sense, had a relationship. You were in the womb together. Jesus and John are in the womb together, right? They're cousins, and, and Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth is married with John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, it's there in your bulletin, when... Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. We're told that when the sound of your greeting, this is Elizabeth telling Mary, you know, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The infant John, in Elizabeth's womb, in utero, leaps for joy, full of the Holy Spirit. And what is it that he rejoices over, even as as an infant at that stage, full of the Holy Spirit, we're told? What is he rejoicing in but the coming of the glory of the Lord that Isaiah prophesies in verse 5. That is his message. That is why John is called in his coming. That is the ministry that he will have, is to proclaim this message. And the glory of the Lord is being revealed in Mary's pregnancy. Isn't that what the angels tried to tell everyone as they show up, talk to Joseph, talk to Mary, talk to Zechariah, talk to the shepherds in the field. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, it's there in your bulletin. The angel shows up and he says to Mary, and he says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and behold, you're going to conceive in your womb, and you're going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord is going to give him the throne of his father, David. And he's going to reign. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob. Not for a lifetime, but forever. In his kingdom, there's going to be no end to his kingdom. The glory of the Lord is being revealed in Mary's womb, in this one who is going to be the son of the Most High God. Right? He's going to be the heir of David and take up that throne on which he will reign forever glory of the Lord and the conception and the birth of Jesus. And so John is sent forth in the fullness of time to prepare the way of the Lord and his coming. In other words, this, this deliverance of Israel, their captivity and their exile and, and their deliverance by the Lord, in, as it's proclaimed here in Isaiah 40, is a picture and a foreshadowing of a much greater captivity and exile. And deliverance that God will bring about for His people. The glory of the Lord will be revealed in the birth of a Savior. Not a Savior of just one nation. But a Savior of a whole world. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. You know, this is God speaking in Isaiah 40. I love where these are the words of God Himself. It's not just the prophet, but He speaks in the first person. Comfort, comfort my people. Says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is going to receive from the Lord's hand in His own doing, double for all of her sins. God is speaking. God is proclaiming deliverance and forgiveness. God Himself will accomplish it. He will do it, and He's speaking it to a people in exile He speaks these words to a people who are in captivity, to a people whose whole world has come crashing down, to a people whose world is topsy-turvy, is broken and messed up, and it's not the way that it should be. Their world has been shattered. This hope is spoken to those who have come to understand, like Israel. As it's spoken in the time of Jesus, in the message of John the Baptist and Jesus and the Apostles. It's a word that is spoken to people who have come to understand that they're far from God, like Israel was. That they have been in some way in exile, somehow far away in captivity. Their relationship with God not being what it should be. Spoken to a people that have found themselves in rebellion against God. And in some ways, have suffered the consequences of that rebellion. In Romans chapter 5, as Paul speaks of the gospel, it's there in your bulletin under the last point, Paul says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we were his enemies, while we were in exile and captivity, far from home and far from God and suffering the consequences of of our own foolishness enemies living at odds with god living at odds with his his word finding ourselves in a place where we don't want to be and so often we're unwilling to admit this so often we're un, we're unwilling to look honestly at where we are to look honestly at where we are spiritually and what our struggles are and how far we may have drifted away and ways that we've come to compromise his word and You know, like Israel that had grown spiritually lazy and cold and and not as responsive to God. And so corruption creeps in and injustice and we begin to compromise in ways that we shouldn't in our life. And it takes a real boldness to look at our lives and say, you know, we're not where God wants us to be. To admit. But it's okay. Okay. The reason why it's okay to do this, it's okay to step back and to look honestly at our lives and to look honestly at ourselves, is because this word comes to people who are out there. Right? This word comes to people who are already in exile and captivity. Who are, it comes to a people who are broken and rebellious. And God says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. God Himself, He says, will reveal Himself, unveil His glory to save. That's what this is about. The glory of the Lord will be revealed in mercy and in compassion. He offers the hope of the gospel, right? That is verse 2, is what Christians would call and describe as the, the, the hope of the gospel the hope of what Jesus brings to the world and offers to all people is just this, that He would speak tenderly to us and and proclaim to us that our warfare can be ended, that our iniquity can be pardoned, and that, that God in His mercy would pay somehow double for all of our sins and that we could come home. What better news could possibly come to our ears. What more can any human being hope to hear from God? But this message your warfare is accomplished, your warfare is ended. You know, for Israel and their captivity, that means that the rod of Assyria that has beset them and the domination of Babylon and Persia that had that had overcome them and taken them away and and, and captivated them, enslaved them, was ended. Freedom for the captives. Home for the exiles. Right, Their exile, their captivity, their hardship, their suffering, all the consequences of their sin and their rebellion and their brokenness ultimately will be lifted. And really, we need to understand that That their warfare was ultimately and largely with God Himself. That they were far from home in exile because they were far from God. Because they had moved away spiritually from Him. Their rebellion was ultimately against God and they were far from Him. Perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you've been fighting with God. Perhaps you've been wrestling with Him over things that you don't agree on. Or things that you just haven't uh, appreciated that have come into your life. And you've, you've wrestled with Him. You have resisted Him. Perhaps resisted His Lordship. Resisted His Word and His will and His ways. You find yourself at odds. What does God say to you? says, your iniquity can be pardoned. He says, he'll pay double, double for all of your sins. But who's going to make this payment? Right, who's going to put an end to it? Who's going who's to bear this load for us? You know, there are a lot of answers to that question when you, when you read this and uh, other parts of Isaiah and there are a lot of answers that have been f- put forward. I think Isaiah answers it for us himself when he gets to 53. Right? Most of you are familiar with Isaiah chapter 53. It's part of this section that begins with Isaiah 40 verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people. And then Isaiah 53, it's there in your and He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It's with his wounds we are healed. Oh, we, we are like sheep that have gone astray. We, we each have turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is this one who is crushed for our iniquities? Who is he talking about? You and I know the answer to that. Most of us do. And the New Testament leaves us without any doubt, if we wonder where this is going and the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy and this promise of God for mercy is First Peter chapter 2, it's there in your bulletin. First Peter chapter 2, 24 and 25 is a restatement and summary of Isaiah 53 that I just read to you, isn't it? He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and to the overseers of our souls. Isaiah's Savior, Israel's Savior, John the Baptist's Savior and coming King, Jesus the Deliverer, would you have your warfare ended, would you have your iniquity pardoned, would you see your sins covered over, not once but doubly so, that where your sin abounded, there would be grace abounding even more. Would you see it buried under a double payment so there's no doubt about its being put away and being done with? And the call of Scripture, the call of John the Baptist is put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him. He is the one who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquity. The chastisement that brought us peace was placed upon Him on the cross. In Him, the glory of the Lord is revealed for our salvation. Right? That's verse 5 as, as, as it comes out. John stands as the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And In verse 5, the glory of the Lord is being revealed and all flesh together will see it. Where is this fulfilled? How do we, how do we see this when this happened? And I would answer that this is what Christmas, verse 5, is what Christmas is all about. It's the message of Christmas in a nutshell. The glory of the Lord was revealed and all flesh together has seen it. What does it look like? What does it look like when your God comes in power to save? What does it look like when the glory of the Lord is revealed? The shocking answer, the biblical answer, the New Testament answer is it looks like Birth of a baby. Veiled in flesh. We sang it a moment ago. Veiled in flesh. The Godhead, see. Hail the incarnate deity. Hail, greet, welcome, salute, honor the incarnate deity. God come in the flesh. The Bible says it in so many different ways uh, running through. I'm just going to. Stack up a few of them on you here for a minute. They're in your bulletin under the last point. Galatians 4 says it this way. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. The glory of the Lord was revealed. Unto us a Son is given. Unto us a child is born. And In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman. Born under the law so that He could save. Redeem those who are under the law. Philippians chapter 2, though he was in the form of God, though he was God and shared his glory, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born. as a baby in a manger, veiling his glory. Or John chapter 1, we all know it well, God, the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh. And He dwelt among us for a time. And He did that by being born as a baby. And He goes on to say, He became flesh and He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Right, The glory is of the only Son from the Father. The glory of the Lord revealed and all flesh together have seen it because it became flesh. The glory of the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us. And so all flesh could see it. Manifest in our own likeness. came wrapped in a baby. So Matthew 121 the angel says you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He will fulfill Isaiah chapter 40 verse 2. He will make possible right for the warfare to end and for the iniquity to be Hardened and for the sin to be doubly paid for in his own body on the cross, he says he was crushed for our iniquities. Why does glory come to dwell in a body? Why does it come as a baby? Why does it come in the flesh? You know, the glory of the Lord, it would be you know when the angels showed up to the shepherds. It wasn't in flesh, but it says the glory of the Lord shone all about them. And a host of the heavenly angels came and and they sang and proclaimed the glory of the Lord in, in this event. You know, the glory of the Lord could show up in so many ways and it has through history. But here in this moment in time, here in this place, glory takes flesh. Born as a baby. Why does it take flesh? And God's glory takes flesh. We're told that He takes a body so that He could bleed so that he could die, so that he could go to the cross and in his own body bear the sin of a lost and rebellious world who need a Savior. This is Christmas. The glory of the Lord has been revealed. All flesh has seen it. And what remains is this. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Have you prepared him room? Have you opened up your heart to to this One whom the glory of the Lord reveals itself in for your salvation and for mine? Have you opened your heart? Have the mountains of rebellion in your heart been brought down? Have the valleys of doubt and despair been raised up? Is Is there a highway in your heart for God to have access? Have you opened your heart to Christ? Make way for your King. Turn away from your exile and captivity. Have done with it. Because if you will have done with it, this message is for you. Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. What a tender word. That this baby was born so that he could die. So that he could bear your sin. So that he could set you free. So he could bring you home. Isaiah 40 ends as you read this chapter. But that very familiar verse in chapter, verse 31, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and they will mount up like on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not grow faint because their warfare shall have ended. Pray with Father in heaven, we thank you for this word that comes to us out of the depths of the ages. This word that you spoke to your people in exile, this word that only pictures, only foreshadows, only speaks of that time. when your glory would be revealed in a baby. That he would live the life we failed to live. Die the death we desperately need that we might be pardoned forgiven, brought home. Oh, would you open our hearts this Christmas and make a highway for our King that you might take up residence deep within our souls and set us free. End our warfare. Bring glory to yourself in us. For we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.